Thank you, Father, for the opportunity for us to gather in your name. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. We love to worship you, Lord. We love to sing your praises and to gather in fellowship with one another and and to just join in seeking you. And we we expect that you'll say many things to us through your word and help us to be receptive, Lord. Please fill us with your spirit and bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll be in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And it has been a has been good coming back to the States after that trip. Thank you for your prayers and the thoughtfulness that many of you have shown in welcoming us and being so thoughtful and providing for our needs, picking us up at the airport and stuff. And it was a holiday, an actual holiday, where I did not have any speaking engagements or was not teaching anywhere. And I felt like I had the opportunity to really, um, because we've been in Australia for a while now, that people weren't so keen on having me just talk about what's going on here, but really I got the chance to listen to people. And it's so neat that that can be a blessing, that that just listening to someone can really minister to them. And and I treasured that opportunity to see my grandparents and visit a lot of churches as a a guest. That's pretty novel. And uh, yeah, while we were there, I got word that a friend of mine uh, for my baseball team had passed away. He, he killed himself. And that was, uh, it, it definitely impacted me during the trip. It's a part of that trip that will impact me. And it just showed how important people are to spend time with people and to treasure the opportunities God gives us to see people and to listen to them. And, you know, wiping the nose of an old guy who's eating dinner, that's a blessing. To hold that baby, that's sweet. To be able to just sit and listen to what's going on in someone's life, ordinary things, just talking about the neighbor, that is a treasure. So let's be those who the light of Jesus Christ shines through, no matter where we are or what we're doing, that we're about his business and that we're we're switched on to the leading of his spirit so that we can hear him and respond in the way that pleases him. One thing I love about Paul is that he made enduring connections with people, and we'll see that in the message today, in this passage, where he wasn't, I used to think of Paul as like a trailblazer, you know, he's always off to here and there, and uh, but he made relationships with people. He brought people to Jesus Christ. The Lord used him to establish churches and regions throughout the whole, uh, like Asia, Asia Minor, and And he included those people in his ministry. So he wasn't some lone ranger who was doing it alone. We have Luke with him that we'll read about today. And he involved people in the ministry, and and he cared how people were doing. Remember, he talked to Barnabas and said, hey, let's go back everywhere we've gone, and let's see how they're doing. Let's check up on them. And it wasn't just to make sure they weren't heretics, but because he loved them. He wanted to know how the church was going and how he might support them. And he always had words of encouragement. And that's something that's a focus of this passage today is we need encouragement that only comes from the Lord. Do you guys see your need for encouragement? Because we can be at a place where we're like, well, I know the truth. I have the Bible. I have friends. I have family or I have security. But we don't receive the encouragement that God has for us. Well, let's start in Acts 20, starting in verse 1. 
After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. This uproar that's mentioned in the first verse, it harkens back to the previous chapter, where Demetrius the silversmith and those who made shrines to Diana in Ephesus had stirred up the city against him. They realized that, hey, whenever Paul preaches the gospel, the worship of idols and the buying of these little shrines goes downhill. He hurts our business. Let's shut him down. So they grabbed whatever Christians they could find and they rushed them into the theater and they people started shouting. It was basically a riot. Nobody knew why they were there. They're just shouting, great is Diana of the Ephesians for two hours until the, the city council member says, guys, guys, settle down. You're going to cause some trouble with the authorities. Let's just disassemble this mob and call it a day. And so they all went away. And so after this ceased, um, Paul, he calls the disciples to himself. He embraces them. There we see the love that he has, and he departed. He didn't leave because it was a it was hard ground in Macedonia um, or in Ephesus. It wasn't because of the the lack of fruitfulness or the spiritual climate was so troubling. He left because he was going somewhere. And this is a good principle for us, that we don't just leave because things are tough or because there's danger or because it's hard where we're at. The situation that God has you in, you may want to just escape it. If you notice, we just want, when we're in trouble, we just want the trouble to end, like now, really quick. But it's that very trouble that can cause us to seek the Lord and to realize that we have a need for God to do something miraculous because we're hopeless on our own. So praise the Lord for the troubles he brings. One thing that God emphasized to me on this trip, we know we come from winter to summer, and it was hot in Southern California, that we can understand God created seasons in nature. We understand that in the world, uh, with plant life and animals, we love spring because of what that brings. We also love summer because of the heat and the things that we can do, and it's okay for nature, but sometimes we don't realize that God has us in seasons too. He may have you in a place for a season. And if God should cause the sun to shine during the day and, and the moon by night, realize that he has seasons in your life too where he has you doing a particular thing. And then he moves you from that to something else. And you can be just as fruitful there or even more when you're walking according to his will. Because even though we can't see the sun shining all the time, it is shining. It shines as God has caused it to. And wherever we are, may the love of Jesus Christ shine through us. Paul, it says, he returned to the region of Macedonia and he encouraged them with many words. This word encouraged, it means to call near, to invite, comfort, and exhort. He didn't lay heavy commands on people to follow, but he reminded them of how awesome God is, what he had done, and the great work God had called him and all of us to do. Do you know that God has an open invitation for encouragement for all who will listen, all who will have him? If if an invitation goes out to everyone, do you feel more or less special than when the invitation goes out only to a select few? 
if everyone's invited, it's probably not as special, right? But realize this invitation comes from God. Therefore, it is a very special invitation, and it's one that we have to respond to. Any invitation, I'm sure everyone in here has been invited to a party or a lunch or a funeral or a wedding or uh, the shops. Um, and you have the opportunity to either respond positively and say, yes, I'm going to that thing. I, nothing's going to stop me. I'm going to change my schedule. I'm not going to work that day because I really want to go to this thing. But then there's other ones you're like, you know what? I think we could give this a miss. Not really interested in that. I don't want to see that movie. I don't want to go there. And it's your choice, right? Well, you know, we can do that with the invitation to encouragement God gives to us. Has your name on it, but we can feel very self-sufficient. We can think that because of what we know, we're fine. But we, if God's going to give you encouragement, won't you receive it from him? Because he knows what we need, just like he knows what the trees need to grow and the animals and the, all the plants that he has created. God spoke encouragement to the church in Macedonia, and he has encouragement for us in his word as well. Paul encouraged with many words, and a lot of these words included writing words. Because while he was in Macedonia, Paul wrote to Corinthians, that letter to the church there. And in Greece, he wrote the book of Romans. When you see, we read these books, 2 Corinthians or Romans, these are encouraging books. They're very encouraging that we could be saved by grace through faith. That is encouragement. Wouldn't you agree there's countless things in the world or in our lives that are potentially discouraging? You have a chance, you have a decision whether you're going to respond to that invitation or not. If we can turn down the invitation to encouragement God gives, then we can also turn down that invitation to discouragement that the enemy might bring or that the weakness of our flesh, our forgetfulness could bring. So may the Lord give us wisdom in making these decisions, what invitation we're going to respond to because we're bombarded with negative information, right? Bad news, it's everywhere. It's a fallen world that we live in, and we have to receive the encouragement that God has. Take it to heart. Apply it to your life, your current situation. It's fitting that when Paul wrote these letters, there were a lot of potential discouragements because he had to change his travel plans. He wanted to get to Jerusalem, as we'll see, but the Jews were plotting against him. And that wasn't like they were just trying to uh, make his life more difficult. They wanted to kill him. Right? They, they were after him a lot. He had a lot of discouraging things that happened, potentially discouraging, but he took his encouragement in the Lord. Why don't you turn to 2 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 8, and it's this letter of encouragement, but he lays out right at the beginning, man, things have been tough for us in Ephesus. It has not been easy. And yet here he is encouraging other people. I want to be that kind of person. That when I am having a hard time, when there's discouragements or potential discouragements all around, that I can be one used by the Lord to encourage others with words or by service and in any way God should choose. So 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11. We would maybe try to hide this. We wouldn't want to say it. But Paul comes out and he says it. He says, it was tough. 
2 Corinthians 1.8, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that we, he will still deliver us, you also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Ephesus was tough on Paul. He says, trouble came to us. We weren't looking for trouble, but trouble came. And we were burdened beyond measure, beyond strength. We despaired of life. They felt like they would be better off dead than living because of the circumstances that faced them. Have you ever felt like that? It would just be easier, it would just be better for me not to be here anymore. We can feel that way. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. that This is how I felt. We felt this way. But what was the conclusion? He says, God raises the dead. So God does the impossible. God does the amazing. And that he delivered us from so great a death. He's delivered us from hell and the, the people who wanted us dead. And he does deliver us, and we trust he will still deliver us. So he's delivered us, he's delivering us, and he will continue to deliver us. So we're going to persevere, and we're going to take courage in him. Not in my circumstances changing, not on me feeling better, or things being how I want them to be. But we're going to look to the Lord, the one who raises the dead. And how good it is to know we serve a risen Savior. He hears our prayers, and he does mighty things, amazing things, and we're, we'll come up on one of those things right now. He points to the resurrection, and this is so important for us to remember, that Jesus is alive, that he rose from the dead. It doesn't seem possible that anyone could rise from the dead. Because it's not possible in a human sense, but everything is possible for God. Verse 11 in this passage, it points to the powerful impact of prayer. And he says, thanks for praying for us. I believe prayer is at the same time the least we can do and the most we can do. When you go, oh man, it was the least I could do to help you out. Right? We can all pray. We all have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus is our intercessor, our mediator. He's the one who helps us to pray. And he's put it on our hearts to pray. And he's taught us how to pray. He leads us how to pray. So we can do that as children of God. We can pray. But it's also the most you can do. Because prayer to God is powerful. He raises the dead. God can do everything. So it's not just a cop-out like, oh, yeah, I'll pray about that like it's nothing. No, prayer is so powerful, so important. Let's be those who believe that God answers prayer and seek him. Back to Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 4. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, Gaius of Derby and Timothy, Antichicus and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us all, waited for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Paul was influential in sharing the gospel. He established, churches were established through those converts. And he also 
made disciples of Jesus. He taught them the ways of Christ. And he visited the churches mentioned in Acts 16 and 17. Now, the reason why these, all these people were with him was likely because of the gift that Paul was bringing at this time to Jerusalem. We read about it in Romans 15, 25 through 27. Remember, he wrote Romans when he's in Greece. And he says, But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. As Paul's traveling around, and he told them that there were impoverished believers in Jerusalem, well, it pleased them as recipients of the gospel to provide monetary funds and to bless the people there. And so these people that accompanied him, they also brought their gift and would see it administered in Jerusalem. It's evident the believers, those Gentiles, they, they valued spiritual things because they were willing to contribute their physical things to bless others. It's a good question. If, the, if it was put to you, what do you value more, uh, spiritual or material things, what might you say? We all have need of both, right? We need the spiritual things. That's eternal life. That's wisdom, love, joy, the things that God gives. But God has also provided material things that we need. Um, Paul ate food, and he wore clothes, and he needed shelter. So these were necessities that God uh, allowed to be supplied through other believers. So it's fitting that we seek to meet physical needs of those who have provided for us spiritually, as the Holy Spirit leads. Not because we have to, but because the Lord makes it. was They were glad to do it. It wasn't like, okay, Jerusalem, those guys, dead weight. Why don't they start, you know, caring for their own people? We'll pitch in a bit. It wasn't like that. They were like, they're, they have needs? Let's help them. I'll go with you. And that's a big commitment to travel all that way, to take all that time. And then they have to deviate. They were heading that way and then up. Trouble, got to go back through Macedonia. So they get diverted, had to change their uh, their voyage plans. I guess they don't have flights back then. It meant a lot more time. But they were glad to do it, to minister to the saints. Verses 5 and 6, we see Luke included there because the author is included in us and we. He says we, so Luke's the, the author of Acts. He's mentioning himself. And it says that they stayed in Philippi during the days of unleavened bread, which is, and observed the feast of Passover over that seven day period. And one of the commentators I read on this, it, it was thought provoking. Uh, Matthew Poole, he says, though Paul would not have the Gentile converts to be burdened with the ceremonial law, yet that he might not offend the Jews, for a while he complied with their rites, they being indeed dead, but not yet deadly, and therefore he stays his journey all the time of the Passover solemnity. I was like, that's, that's a good, that's an interesting point that he had no legal obligation to keep the feast according to the law. Yet we see whenever he had the opportunity to, he did. He kept the feast. He went up to Jerusalem when he had opportunity. He went out of his way to make sure he was there. He didn't force the keeping of the Passover on other people as a measure of their spirituality. Well, if you're, if you're really, 
um, you know, serious about your walk with God, you would keep the Passover. He didn't do that. That was his own conviction, and he kept it. What struck me about Poole's comments was dead rites are not deadly because he did them at, according to the leading of the Spirit, not as a measure of his own righteousness because he had been made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ by grace. He didn't earn righteousness. He, he's not deemed righteous or holy because he kept the Passover or even the Jewish Sabbath. It's because Jesus Christ's blood had washed him from sin and he had trusted in him. Therefore, he was clean. He was righteous and holy by the grace of God. For a born-again child of God, it does not harm us or others should we observe something in the law personally. But when we make the law a measure of holiness and we begin to stand in judgment of others who do not have the same conviction, that's where we drift into legalism and judgment and sin. In the old days, it used to be things like length of hair or uh, the length of your skirt. That was kind of a measure of your, you know, your genuineness or your spirituality. You guys remember those days? Now we don't, I don't think we even talk about length of hair anymore. It's kind of gone by the wayside. I remember years ago, there was a guy in our church who came up to me and he, he ran a business. And he's like, Ben, I want to know. I, I need to know if the verses that say it's wrong to have tattoos. He obviously was against tattoos, and he did not want his employees to have tattoos and wanted the backing of the Bible to say, see, the Bible says it, so you can't have one. Um, but I'm like, well, there is a verse that talks about you should not have tattoos in law, but it also talks about things like not sowing different seeds in the same field or wearing mixed clothing, like uh, 98% uh cotton and 2% polyester, like that's sinful, right? So if we, if you start to take one and you say, this is what you have to do, and this is the, the measure of righteousness, well, then you are putting yourself under the whole law to keep it. So it can't be a measure of righteousness, but you know, God made the law good. And should there be something in the law that you say, you know what, this is right, and I'm going to do this in obedience to God, because this is a conviction he's placed by my heart, by all means do it as the Holy Spirit leads you, but not to put that burden on others as a measure of spirituality. Because we have righteousness through faith alone. It's amazing that we have been raised to new life. Paul did well to keep the feast. We do well to do everything that God commands us, not as a measure of piety or holiness, but in obedience to his leading for his glory. That is our metric. That's what is to govern us. Verse 7, now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they gathered together, and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. This is pretty, uh, pretty shocking. Not what you'd expect to happen at a, at a message or a, a meeting. While they were in Troas, they gathered to break bread. And this breaking of bread was not just eating, which is the way we'd probably say, oh, we broke bread together. It was more than that. It was kind of like a worship service where they would have a meal. During that meal, they would observe the Lord's Supper. They would have the elements for communion right there on the table and they would drink of the cup and they would eat the bread and they would remember how Jesus had died for them. And then 
Paul, we see, he gave a message. We also see they met on the first day of the week. So this is on a Sunday. They, this is called the Lord's Day in Revelation 1.10. So because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, that's why traditionally Christians met on Sunday. I like what Paul wrote in Colossians 2.16 and 17, following on from that concept of the law. He says, So let no one judge you in food or drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. The law is the shadow. The substance is Christ. We have Christ. So we're under no obligation to keep the shadow. What's very different about this particular service is probably the length of it. We try to keep the services here pretty much the same so you can plan your day and to be uh, allowed time for fellowship and things. But they went until midnight, and Paul is going strong. Apparently, Eutychus was not going strong. Uh it says it was an upper room, you know, heat rises, they've got a lot of oil-burning lamps in this room, maybe an oxygen-deprived atmosphere, it's getting like a little stuffy in there. He's sitting by a window, and because of all those factors and the fact it's midnight, he drifts off, he's starting to, you know, I mean, we can drift off in air conditioning, right? Well, and not even at midnight, it can be 10 a.m., and we could be pretty sleepy. But this is midnight. He's feeling it, and uh, interestingly, his name, Eutychus, means fortunate. Hmm. As a side note, the Romans worshipped a goddess named Fortuna, who supposedly governed chance, luck, and fate. She could bestow great riches, but she could also bring your life to a swift end. That was one thing. In the medieval times, they have Fortuna and her wheel of fortune, and there's people on the wheel And as she spun the wheel, you never knew when you were just going to drop off. So here's Eutychus. He's nodding off during the message. He loses balance. He falls out of the window. Three stories, he hits the ground, and he's taken up dead. And this is Luke, who's a physician who knows something about that. Trustworthy authority. It's it's, it's an illustrative scene, really, of the danger of being a sleepy Christian. When you feel yourself nodding off and you're sitting on a windowsill, you should probably move. Just go lay down in the back or something. Like, all right, this is going long. I, I got to get to bed. Paul, God bless him. He's like, he's leaving the next day and he's preaching till midnight. I'd have been like, hey, man, let's knock it off around. You know, I got to get to sleep. But no, he was so intent and they were so wanting to hear what God had to say. So he's preaching late. When we notice we are nodding off spiritually, when we're getting a bit drowsy, when we are susceptible to temptation and fall, we need to take action. You know, get off the windowsill. Move to a place where you will be safe, where there's other believers that can help us. It's no sin to sleep, but we need to be vigilant uh, and make sure that we're not falling asleep when It's time to awake to righteousness, the Bible says. It's very easy to drift off. It's a slow process. You know, you nod, was I asleep just then? I don't even know. Have you ever known that? You've you've taken a nap, and you're not really sure if you ever slept or not. I've discovered that when you think that, you usually have. You just didn't notice it. So it can happen. And that's why it's so important to be around other people. Um, Because if someone nods off, guess who can see them? I'm up here. I have the perfect view for that. So, uh, but 
When you're not in fellowship, there's nobody that sees it. So be in fellowship. Uh, Verse 10, But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him, said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked for a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. So Eutychus falls three stories. Paul runs down. He he just leaps upon him, just embracing him and says, don't worry about him. There's life in him. And he revived. He dead, was dead, and now he's alive. And what did he do right after that? It says they went upstairs again and broke bread. Like, okay, here's a living reminder. Eutychus just died, and now he's alive, just like our Savior, who died, and now he's alive. And that life is in us. We have that new life. And they weren't done with that message. It's not like, all right, guys, let's go. Bad things are happening. I think we need to call this message off. No. It says, until daybreak, he just kept preaching, kept discussing the things of God with them, and they were just right on. No one fell asleep then. I mean, would you fall asleep after somebody just was raised from the dead, literally? I mean, the shock of, I mean, I'm sure people screamed as he fell and hit the ground, and then to see him alive was like, wow. This is crazy. This is amazing. And let's let's maintain that. Let's remember this, that we have a God who raises the dead, and he lives inside of us through the Holy Spirit. Not a meeting easily forgotten. And it says, when they brought that young man in alive, they were not a little comforted. They were very comforted. They were so encouraged that God had mercy on that young man. I mean, I don't know if he was a believer before. I can't imagine him not being a believer after. But praise the Lord, he brings the dead to life. Like Eutychus was lulled to sleep on that windowsill, we too, we can be lulled to sleep by the voices all around us. That even as children of God, we're powerless and we're hopeless to change anything. And we can feel at the mercy of our circumstances at the mercy of our enemies, even at the mercy of our own sin. I felt that way. It's not bad luck that Eutychus fell from that windowsill. He wasn't fortunate that he was alive to speak about it the next day. Luck had nothing to do with it. When I used to play baseball, guys on my team, the ball would go through your legs. Ah, bad luck, mate. You know, bad luck. Really, luck had nothing to do with it. It's like you just didn't get low enough. Put your glove on the ground, right? There wasn't much that had to do with that. It wasn't bad luck or bad fortune that, oh, he's so unfortunate he fell off that ledge. Maybe if he was sitting inside and we make it, we take God out of the equation and we bring fortunate into it. Australia is sometimes called the lucky country. I never use that term because it doesn't give the, the credit to God that he deserves because he's established us as a nation. He's given us the things that we enjoy. He's provided the bounty and the new life that we have through Christ and the ability to proclaim him freely. That's a gift of God. It's not luck. Luck had nothing to do with that. It's because God is awesome and good and he cares about us down under that he's provided a way for us to fellowship together. And even should that privilege be removed from us someday, we can still have comfort and encouragement in God, in his word, and through fellowship with one another. 
because that's never going to change. God's word will endure forever. Talk about the church declining. It could decline, but it could never dissolve because Jesus is the one who has established it and he will maintain it. He will build his church. So let's rejoice in him. You don't have to be discouraged by statistics. We have a God who raises the dead. Let's rejoice in him. He's already raised you, right, Christian? He's raised you from the dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins, and now he's made you alive to God. Shouldn't we rejoice in that? Shouldn't we take great confidence and comfort in our God that he is able to raise the dead? He raised me from dead to life. I didn't fall out of a window, but I was born in trespasses and sins and heading to hell, and he's now redeemed me and delivered me And he'll still deliver me, and he'll keep on delivering me by his grace. And even when our circumstances change, I think Job, God protected him. God had a hedge about him, and then at a point, God God took down that hedge and allowed the devil to harm him and his children and his his, uh, possessions. And when Job received that bad news, bad news like I've never received, like, okay, all your flocks, all your herds, all your camels, all your donkeys, everything is gone. You have three servants left, and then the fourth servant comes and says, oh, your ten children are all dead. I I don't even know. I I cannot process that. In Job 1, 20 through 22, it says, Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Job had that perspective. He's like, I came into this world naked. I came into this world with nothing. And I have God. He's given me many things. He chose to take them away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's so powerful. And it's such a comfort to know that we have a God who is good, no matter what happens. Even if things seem bad, even if things are bad, God can redeem them. The disciples were not jumping up and down, rejoicing when Jesus was crucified on the cross. They were afraid and they were hiding And it wasn't until Jesus rose from the dead, they they couldn't even believe it when it first happened. But the rejoicing came, right? They didn't see that through his death, I can be born again and I can go to heaven forever. They didn't see that part of it at the beginning, but they came to. Let's come to that place. They're like, Lord, I don't know how you're going to get good out of this, but you know, you're the one who raises people from the dead. You're the one who gives life where there's only death. Let's see. Yeah, I was blessed to go to my mate's funeral on Friday, and I was, I was just touched by the people who came, and it reminded me again of the impact of the life of one person on so many, uh, for good. And... How good it is that 
or how what a what a responsibility it is that your life touches a lot of other lives and you make an impact on people that you don't even know and God's behind a lot of that God will allow you to make an impact on a life that you had no idea you were ministering to them in any way by his grace he will work in and through you and we live in among people who have absolutely no hope in themselves beyond themselves that's their only hope, and that's a pretty scary proposition. If all my hope is in my ability to do something, that's, that's a dying hope. There's no hope there. Uh, I, was in, I was comforted during my stay in the States. Um, I had heard the news. I was talking to a, a man at church sought me out uh, on a Wednesday night, and he just pulled me aside and said, hey, you know, you prayed for me. Like, it was probably over 10 years ago. Uh, we were at a, at a retreat, and you just you prayed for me, and I was at a really low point in my life, and uh, just in a dark place, and, and that was really the, the point where things turned around, where my perspective changed, and um, God used that time to change my life for the better, and I was like, wow, like I had no idea that this was going on with the guy, and I just prayed with him, that was it, um, but God knew, and God did something that day. And I encourage you guys, it's, it's encouragement from the Lord that God can use you in that way too, without you even knowing it. And you may think that you're helpless and without any ability to help, but God will help you. He will use you in ways that you never dreamed. And you may never know, but that's okay. Because we are tools in his hands to accomplish his good purposes. And even when you think there's no power in yourself, there's no ability in yourself, that's a good place. Because our strength comes from God alone. And he's the one who enables us to do things greater than we could ask or think. So here's the question. Do you believe that God can use you to raise the dead without even knowing it? That he could use you to raise people from dead, death to life without you even realizing that that's happening. we might say, no, come on, Jesus maybe, Paul, Jesus for sure, Paul maybe, but me, ah, come on, I'm just me. But you have the Holy Spirit within you, and he does everything. So let's trust him and take encouragement from him, because he's offering you that encouragement right now. The invitation has your name on it. Are you going to receive that or just say, ah, I'll put that off. I've got something else. You know, this discouraging letter seems a little bit more appropriate at the moment. Take him up on it. Receive that from him. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to deliver from bondage. He came to raise the dead. He came to restore sight to the blind, to give strength to those who are cast down for the glory of God. That's why he came, and that's why you're here, so that through you can be strengthened, you can be the one who's raised from dead to life. You can be the one who was once blind, and now you see you can be the one who was in darkness, but now you, you're in the light, and you can shine that light on others. And it's just him working through your life. We just yield to him. We submit to him. We seek him. And we walk in obedience to him. And he helps us to do all those things. We are first-hand witnesses of this resurrection power because that's the God who lives within us.
Acts 20, verse 13. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board. For so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met it at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The next day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Tregilium. The next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Luke, those in the ship, they sailed to Assos where they planned to meet up with Paul. He was going to meet them on foot. And they decided, hey, let's skip Ephesus. We've been there. And I think with all the believers there, I don't know, I I find this problem sometimes. I go to a gathering and I find it hard to extricate myself from conversation. You know, you start talking to people and, and people are like, oh, it's time to, you know, we have another engagement. I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm trying to, you know, and I'm just getting engaged with people all the way. And Paul, he was the kind of guy who was meeting up with people and talking about how they're doing. And these are not short conversations. And he's like, you know, I want to get to Jerusalem. We need to just skip Ephesus because I, we're, we're already behind. We're about, we've had to change our schedule. We've had to change our route. We've got to go through Macedonia. So let's just skip Ephesus. And he wanted to be there on the day of Pentecost. That was a holy day, 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits, which occurs during the Passover feast. Pentecost, of course, significant because that's when the Holy Spirit fell on the believers in Jerusalem, when that church was established there. All right, just getting my timing. All right, 2 Corinthians, could you please turn there? 2 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. I thought it fitting because Pentecost follows the Feast of First Fruits. The first fruits in the lamb that are mentioned in Leviticus 23, 9 through 12, that points to Jesus. And they would take this sheaf and they would wave it before the Lord. They would take the lamb and they would sacrifice it, offered as an offering before the Lord. And Paul wrote this in his letter to the Corinthians. Again, 2 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. And oh, that this would sink in, that Jesus is risen. He is accessible. He is ready to save. He has an everlasting kingdom. He's the one who holds the scepter. And he's the one who says, to him who overcomes, you can sit with me. I, you can sit. He overcomes will sit in my throne, even as I have overcame and sit in my father's throne. That he's defeated sin. He's defeated death. And he has a life planned for you that's far greater than any life you could imagine for yourself. You can think about what's, whoa, what would I like? You know, like, what if I win the lottery? What would I do? And we could just spin this great idea of the things we would do or the people we would help. But you know, you cannot out-imagine the God who has prepared great works for you to enter into during this life. I'm not just talking about heaven. I'm talking about now. God has things in store for you, 
and lives that he wants you to touch and miraculous things he wants to accomplish through your life that you would not have dreamed possible because it's not possible except through him. He will accomplish it. Final verse to turn to, Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. Due to human frailty, forgetfulness, Paul and other believers, they have despaired of life. They felt like, you know, life is too tough. Life is difficult. With all the troubles and trials that life's throwing at me, I am better off dead. They felt that way. The weight of the world really upon them. But Paul did not fall for this deception. The temptation came to take that invitation of discouragement. He said, no, I'm not going to take that. Instead, he received the comfort and peace. Because if you read right before that passage that I spoke about in 2 Corinthians, it says that we have received consolation. And with every trial God gives, he gives greater consolation. And what comfort we've received, we can comfort others with. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, this is from a song of confidence in God. It says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. Everlasting strength for you, believer. It's not for everybody. It's for those who trust in God. And that perfect peace is yours when your mind is fixed on the Lord, when he is ever in your gaze. You're keeping that perspective that Jesus is alive, God is on the throne, he's in control, and he's going to help me. When I cast my cares upon him, he hears me because he cares for me. He loves me with an everlasting love, and he has everlasting strength and strength for the day. We sometimes want to feel like, you know, you're feeling triumphant, you can just take on the whole world. That doesn't last very long. But you know, when you're without strength, God will give you strength for the day. That's all you need, right? Daily, he will supply strength, just like he supplied the man in the wilderness for the children of Israel that he loved. He supplied it for them daily, and let's seek him daily to receive that and to walk in that strength. He concluded that book, 2 Corinthians 13. It's a fitting end. He says, finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Don't you want God to be with you? He wants to be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Will you receive today that invitation to the encouragement that God has with your name on it? Will you be encouraged today? Will you choose to, to fix your mind on the Lord and instead of focusing on the discouraging things that are all around? Will you do that? Let's receive that. Let's praise the Lord who has comfort, peace, and joy for those who seek him. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. And all these reminders, even Eutychus falling down, Lord, thank you that you lifted him up. Lord, we too, we fall, we forget, we are drowsy, sleepy people, but you have called us to be awake and to be seeking you and to honor you. And I pray, Lord, that if we are discouraged and, and cast down, Lord, I pray you would be the lifter of our heads this morning, that we might look upon you and see your face and rejoice in your goodness toward us. 
We praise you, Lord, that you're an awesome God who raises the dead to life, who brings light to the darkness. You have come to us and you have spoken. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see how we might minister to you. And thank you, Lord, for using us to minister to others. Thank you that you're good and your plans are awesome. Everything you do is excellent. We magnify you, Lord. We praise you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray together. Amen.